Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat, guys. We are in Ecclesiastes this morning. Um, you guys might have noticed last week we got uh, some new Bibles. They're all back there. There's a bunch back there. If you don't have one, feel free to jump up now and go back and grab one. Um, and if you don't have a Bible or if you don't have an ESV Bible, which is a Bible we always preach from here, uh, feel free to take it home with you as our gift to you. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's that. And feel free as you, as you walk in from weeks to come, just grab one or just take one with you, whatever you want to do. This is, uh, we want to give you guys this gift. If you, if you do have one of these Bibles, we're going to be on page 356 today. Um, that's where Ecclesiastes is in, in that Bible. Um, before we get into the message this morning, I want to, want to ask a few questions of us to kind of get our minds rolling and moving in, in this particular direction. Um, what do you busy yourself with? Think about last week or yesterday. Uh, yesterday's probably better because it was a Saturday. Most of you didn't work on a Saturday. What do you busy yourself with? What did you do yesterday? Um, by the way, these are all rhetorical questions, so don't feel obligated to speak. Uh, second question is, what do you value the most? What do you value the most? And, and that question kind of goes in, in, in two directions. We can immediately say what we value most and, and what kind of comes to our mind sort of in a philosophical way. Or we can think about, okay, what we value most is probably what we spend our time with. So really those first two questions kind of lean on each other. What do you busy yourself with? And what do you value the most? Um, and then the last question is, where does God fit into those answers? Where does God fit into those answers? And here's, here's the struggle. This is the, we're going to go through like a chapter and a half this morning. Uh, so the struggle for me is, is for us to, to keep this, this main theme above us as, as we're walking through, as we're thinking, as we're, as we're talking together this morning. But th- this, there's, there's a, a need in us to, to come back to this, this notion of what do we value? What, what, what do we value? And then where does God fit into that? And as I'm thinking through this, Solomon uses 12 chapters in Ecclesiastes to kind of lay out his, this is all the wisdom and all the life I've lived. The, these are the truths that I've came to. And Jesus summarizes all of this in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. You guys might remember the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, at the beginning of his, of his work, comes and gathers a bunch of disciples and then a bunch of people around them, and he, on, on a mountaintop, he preaches to them. In the middle of that, this verse that you might have sung as a seventh grader, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's Matthew six thirty three. That's at the close, right after he's been talking about what brings us anxiety? What do we worry about? What do we stress over? And how are we going to provide? And, and all those things, how are we going to continue to live? Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things that you busy yourself with, all these things that you value, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things we added to you. Here's how I think we live a lot of times. Seek ye first all these things, 
and the kingdom of God will be added to you. It's kind of pithy and silly, but I think that's where we, where we wind up. And the, the danger of this is this message that, that we're going to walk into this morning. The danger of this is, okay, what do we value? And then we try to ask ourselves, how can God be a part of what we value? And, and as, as Christians who, you know, we're, we wake up early and, and spend our Sunday mornings, and you guys, I'm well aware that you have a Sunday morning that you can spend however you want to spend it. I'm well aware that we're here in the church choosing to spend our Sunday morning seeking to hear from God. I, at least I hope that's why we, we're here this morning. So we have this opportunity to, to spend our morning on God, and so by our presence here, we're kind of stating that we're concerned with what God has to say to us in our lives. Would you give me that as a given to proceed with? Um, the, the danger for us is to continue to pursue what we want to pursue and then try and figure out how God is a part of that. Which is maybe a step better than just pursuing what we want to pursue and forgetting about God. But what Jesus would say to us and what Solomon says to us in Ecclesiastes is, Seek first God, and then let him inform what to value. Let him give things their purpose and their meaning and value. Perspective, finding meaning in life on earth. That's what we're about. Is the glass half full or is it half empty? Depends on your perspective. What we've prayed for this series to do is shake us from how we tend to view life and change that and give us a new perspective. And that's what we're going to get to this morning. Starting in verse, uh, starting in verse 12 of chapter 1, I'm going to read these specifically and we'll, we'll just kind of hit the, all of chapter 2. Solomon speaking, again, Solomon, the, the wisest and probably richest man who ever lived. Verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given the children of men to be busy with. He's really smart, he's really wise, he's really powerful, he can do whatever he wants to do, and he has applied himself to to just think about what man has valued. What, is, what does this world have to offer? And, and where he's gotten mixed up is I'm going to pursue what I want to pursue and then maybe try to add God to that. And he'll get to the vanity of that as we go. But he says it's an unhappy business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. Whatever it is that came into your mind when I said, what do you busy yourself with? That thing in itself is worthless. Uses the word vanity over and over and over again this morning and throughout all of Ecclesiastes. It, it appears every, in every chapter of this book. But it's worthlessness. It's a chasing after the wind. Verse 14. I've seen everything that is done under the sun. What's left out there? What's left out by the word Everything. Nothing. I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, 
All is vanity, a striving after the wind. I've, I've thought about that. What does it mean to strive after the wind? You're never, ever going to catch it. It's meaningless. It's worthless. It's opening up a big present with nothing in the box. Really pretty, beautiful bow that my wife made. She makes pretty bows. Verse 15. This is, this is a really cool verse, verse 15. It's, it's a, Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs, um, and this is just a, a short, pithy proverb. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. What's crooked cannot be made straight, and what's lacking cannot be counted. This world is broken. It's crooked. No pursuit of the things that this world offers is going to make it straight. And this is, that, that's pretty obvious, but the second thing that he says there is really cool. What's lacking cannot be counted. Count the number of jelly beans in my hand. It's silly, right? But the beauty of the wisdom of that is we chase around trying to count something that's not there. Value in this world, stuff that we do, stuff that we busy our lives with, is like trying to count something that's not there. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied to my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. The more you pursue meaning and purpose that this world offers, the more you realize the desperate state that we're in. Wisdom is meaningless. Work is meaningless. J.R. Tolkien says this about this world being crooked and not being able to be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. Certainly, there was an Eden on this very unhappy earth. We all long for it and we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature, at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most humane, is still soaked with a sense of exile. Certainly there was an Eden on this very unhappy earth. Certainly there was a place where our hearts long to get back to. Certainly there was a place that has not been made crooked. Certainly there was a place where things were there to be counted. We could hold and tangibly feel something. We all long for it and are constantly glimpsing it. I see that with, with my wife, my relationship with her. I've got close relationships with, with, with a bunch of you, and, and I see that in relationship. And I, I long, I'm desperate. You long and are, and are desperate for somebody to, to just know you, and to be real and open and, and, and be content with each other. Genesis calls it naked and unashamed. We long to get to that point. We're constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature 
at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most humane, is still soaked with, this just doesn't work. There's frustration everywhere. We're in exile. This idea, this concept, what God puts us in, the place that God puts us in, the pursuits that we have in this world, it's just a big, giant puzzle to get us to realize that this earth, this world, the things that we busy ourselves with are meaningless apart from God. And, and here's, here's the danger. That's why I spent the time at the beginning talking about seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and having God define our pursuits. When we come to this, we can continue in our pursuits and try and add God to the equation. And so this is, this is my challenge for us this morning as, as the one to get to come and, and speak the word this morning. My challenge is to remind us that that's not the point. The point is not continuing in our pursuits and allowing God to to try and somehow be a part of that. At the end of this, I said it last week, i say it again, is chapter 12, verse 13, the, the last word he says is this. All has been said and done. Everything that's been said and everything that's been done is so that you can understand this. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the chief duty of man. And that wasn't something that John Piper wrote and tried to lead the the American culture towards. It wasn't something that some apostle wrote. This is God speaking to you through his word. Here's what you need to be busy with. Fear God and keep his commandments. And that's Matthew six thirty three. Seek first his kingdom. And all these things, all these pursuits, all these busyness, let me take care of your pleasure. Uh, I was studying this week in my desk in a basement and I was uh, looking for another version of the Bible, looking for the NIV as I was studying through it. And so I found a Bible that was mine from like 20 years ago. And I used to write in it all the time. It's uh, just words everywhere written. Most of them I can't read because it's so small. But I pulled it out and I'm flipping through Ecclesiastes and I, and I saw something that I wrote in there like 20 years ago. It says, uh, do not let your flesh tell you what will bring you pleasure. Let God do that. And that's, that's the heart of, of where we're going. I was like 20 years old when I wrote that, and I was really dumb. But it, it, it gets to the heart of, of where we're going and what God has for us and what we value, what we busy our lives with, usually is what we want to, our best effort to provide ourselves with joy and pleasure. That's not your job. Let God give you your joy and your pleasure. Seek first his kingdom. Think back. Here's, here's a homework assignment for you this week. Think back to a time when God gave you something beautiful. If you're married, maybe it's your, your relationship with your spouse. That's, that's my mind, where my mind goes. And think back to what you were doing seeking God in the midst of that. The point that Solomon is making here all through Ecclesiastes and the point that Jesus was making in his Sermon on the Mount when he said, seek ye first, is stop trying to provide your own joy. Stop trying to provide your own pleasure. Let me do that. That's my job. 
So now let's, let's dig into chapter 2. We're going to go through this quickly. He, he gets systematic here. He, he goes through vanities. Vanity, again, an emptiness, a worthlessness, striving after the wind. These are the things that we tend to pursue our, our lives with, trying, tend to give our lives over to. The first one, again, he's systematic. He deals with one at a time. Uh, flip to, to Ecclesiastes 2.10. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. He's talking about the vanity of pleasure. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward for my toil. Then I considered all my hands had done, and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is Solomon. There was, he was rich, he was powerful, and he was really smart. And there was nothing that he didn't want that he didn't give to himself. He's looking around, where's purpose and meaning in this world? Okay, I'm going to go open the door to pleasure and see if in the room of pleasure, anything that I want to do, I'll have and I'll do. And that was money, sex, power, parties, friends, all that stuff. He gave it to himself. There was no gift that he didn't give himself to. And this, as Americans, is huge for us. We don't have at our disposal the things that Solomon had at our disp- his disposal, but if we did, we would engage in it. Drive down the road with your radio on. Listen to the commercials and how you're marketed to. Look at the billboards and how you're marketed to. Just think about marketing for a while. Everything is designed to tell you What you've got is not enough to make you happy. Try our product. You'll find happiness there. How many frowns do you see in beer commercials? How many slumped shoulders do you see in car commercials? Have you ever seen a commercial for like, this is, this is a, a perfect example. The iPhone 5 just came out, and there's, seriously, I want an iPhone 5. I, got, I just got an iPhone, like, less than a year ago. I want one. Why? Because my soul is discontent. Because really smart marketing people fully understand that our souls are discontent. But then Samsung steps up and says, wait a second, too many people are buying these products, they need to buy our products. So we're going to make a commercial marketing against the marketing. Have you seen that one? Everybody's lined up outside the whatever, and they're, I can't wait, they're going to give us what they didn't give us last year. And it's really funny, and it's clever, and it's, it's good marketing, but really what, this is, what that does is just preying upon what Solomon is teaching here. We're discontent. We want to get for ourselves our own pleasure. Look at Facebook is a beautiful example of that. Some guy somewhere has figured out a way to know what you like. So you look on like the right-hand column, 
everything. Like, there's stuff for me, it's like, come join our seminary. Come buy this Christian book. Come, that's, that's what shows up on my Facebook page. Because they know what I'm interested in. I don't know how they do it. What's on your Facebook page? I bet you it's something that you're interested in. Because the world knows, marketing knows that there's something in us that desires this thing. But pleasure in itself is empty. Pleasure in itself is empty. Skip down to verse 16. He's going to talk about the, the vanity of wisdom. Verse 16. For the wise... For of the wise, and as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Nobody remembers the wise person, nobody remembers the fool. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Again, I just want to give Solomon a hug, right? I hated life. Sometimes I think about that, man, just the lot that I find myself in, I just get frustrated. And, but Solomon hated life so much that he wrote it in the Bible. Because he sought the things of this world to give him his purpose and his meaning. And here he's sought wisdom to give him his purpose and his meaning. But the, to the wise and to the fool, they all die. The wisest guy to ever live is dead. The most foolish guy to ever live is dead. And everybody in between. It's vanity. Chasing after the wind. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. I saw there's nothing but vanity around. This is, as I'm thinking about that this week, I've got my two grandparents, my, my two grandfathers. One was a really kind the, the kindest, most gentle man I've ever known. He was a beautiful man. He worked at Brown Shoe Factory in the middle of Illinois for 50 years. He worked hard with his hands every day. And he would come home, and he would love his son, and he would love his wife. And he would sing in his church. It was a really simple existence, one that I would just long for. Just work and come home and love your family. And serve in your church. That's who he was. Then my brother and I came along, and he loved us. We'd go up there for two weeks every summer. He'd teach us to bowl. He'd teach us to fish. He'd teach us to burn the trash in his backyard, in his big stove, outdoor stove. And it it was really cool. And he was just a gentle, sweet man. And he's dead. Cooper, my son, We'll see pictures of him and hear me tell stories of him. Cooper's son won't see pictures of him. Won't even hear stories of him. My other grandfather was a war hero. The two greatest awards that an Air Force pilot can have, my grandpa got them both twice. World War II and in Korea. Flew really, really important missions and after that, wars ended. He's training men. He is uh, operating and managing 
really important Air Force bases in Japan, in Germany, and in the, and in the States. He gave his life for that. He had a wife who's my grandmother passed away. My mom was about 19, 20 years old. He spent a lot of time alone. Then he remarried the person that I know was my grandmother's still alive today. And I, I think back into his, to his life and how he invested who he was into this country and gave so much to it. He's dead. Again, Cooper, never met him. Was never alive at the same time. Sees pictures, hears stories. He comes and asks me every now and then, tell me a story about Grandpa and the Air Force. Well, I don't really remember much, but he did some really important things. That's basically what I tell him. Cooper's son will know, not know anything about him. Everything that you busy your life with, even when it's of value. These two men, my two grandfathers, great things to give their lives to. Today in 2012, it's meaningless. Except for this. They planted the kingdom of God into their children. And that legacy lives. I'm here, standing here, talking about Ecclesiastes in part because of those men. And again, it's not about finding something that you really enjoy and figuring out a way to let God be a part of that. That's not it. Everything apart from God is vanity. There's one more force. It's the vanity of work. Skip down to verse 22. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. Work, pleasure, wisdom, they're all vanity. They're all of no value. They only receive any value that they have through God. And that's what he starts talking about in verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, listen close. This is the point that he's making here in, in all of chapter 2. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Look at me. For apart from God, who can eat, who can have enjoyment? No one. There's no pleasure in this world apart from God. If you see it, it's, it's fleeting. It's chasing after the wind. It will leave you broken. It will leave you with slumped shoulders and a frown, needing a hug. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Verse 26. For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting. He's given the business of marketing. Only to give to the one who pleases God. 
Do we walk around this earth knowing that one day, I mean, when I say walk around this earth, I mean what we busy our lives with, what we value, how we spend our time. Do we walk around this earth with the knowledge of how we spend our time that this earth will be dust? You will one day stop breathing. They'll put you in a box. They'll dig a hole and put that box in that hole. And your children will cry. And then worms will start to eat you. What do you busy yourself with? What do you value? What is God speaking to you with how to busy your life? Do not let your flesh tell you what would bring you pleasure and joy. Let God do that. I think it's time for me to shut up and let God work. Let's pray. God, I stand before you. God, I humbly stand before you. I confess that I try to find my my pleasure in the things of this world and work wisdom. Father, I confess that I I do what makes me happy in this moment and then try and find a way to add you to it. Father, would you change my perspective? Please, God. Father, would you teach me what to value? Would you show me the simplicity of your son's word to seek first the kingdom? his righteousness. Will you teach me to fear you and keep your commandments? Allow those things to motivate my actions and my values. God, I'm reminded of your word in John. Tell us that you are the vine and we are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God, I don't want to live apart from you for a moment. God, take away the things that busy our souls if they are distracting. Take them away. 
Lord, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.